Hi, it's downtown Josh Brown. I'm here with Michael Batnick. We're hey, guys. <laughs> We're about to play our favorite game. What are your thoughts? Michael doesn't know what I'm going to ask him about, and I don't know what he's going to ask me about. Stick around. Let's see what's happening. All right. I nope. The, nope. I have the first. Nope. You're I'm, going first? I'm starting. Oh. All right. Go. All right. Did you see this uh, post from JP Morgan, the Armageddonists? No. Oh, yes. I saw a chart from it. Okay. So here's the lead. While recessions and bear markets are a fact of life, something peculiar happened after the global financial crisis. The rise of the Armageddonists, which refers to the market watchers, forecasters, and money managers whose apocalyptic comments spread like wildfire in print and online financial news. This is the gulliest thing. I mean, you don't I've ever seen. You don't really see this from peop, from places like uh, J.P. Morgan, and we're at all time highs. It's like seven seventeen years into this bull market. <laughs> this looks like a blog post that Barry Ritholtz would have done. <laughs> is this a little toppy or what, Duncan? You're gonna you're gonna pop that chart up, the, right? The, I mean, this okay. might this might not age well. Well, yeah, and they went after like some really big like gun locks they, in there. They name names, Who, but do you think there? do you think that these the people on this list are sort of like the people that got stuck in the forest and didn't know that World War II ended like 30 years ago? No, I think it's a great illustration of the recency bias and how everyone, no matter how skilled or smart or experienced they are, at some point falls prey to it. Like, Why recency? Because like we had not even come out of the crisis and people were already calling for the next one. And... I totally understand that. I was look, like in 2011, I was like super bearish. In 2010, I was buying FAZ. Remember that? What triple short bears? Uh, banks. Banks. Yeah. Yeah. Like right I, at the bottom. So I I don't make I I try not to make fun of people because I'm sure I do the same thing all the time. Like I'm super bullish right now. Why wouldn't I be? Fourteen and a half percent annual returns we're for on, ten years. We're on camera. I, I'm just saying. Like I I think it's I'm just surprised. Like J P Morgan. Um, asset management. It was aggressive. All right, what do you got? Super aggressive. Um, I got an interesting question from a prospective client of one of our advisors, um, I think two days ago, over the phone. And I thought I gave a good answer, but I I wanted to hear how you would have answered this. So he said, I completely understand that the market and the economy are not the same thing. I also understand that overall levels of debt grow with the economy, commensurate. Um, But... But the national debt as of the end of 2018 is 22 trillion. It's a hundred and it's a big number. It's 106 percent of the U.S. economy, and it's the biggest of all time. And he's like, so in the short term, I understand markets are going to do whatever they want. But what about as a long term risk that that somehow blows up? Yeah. So here's what I said. I made two points. The first point I Wait, made... Wait, so you want to hear what I said or you want me to agree with what you said? Well, I want to hear if you would have answered this differently. Go ahead. So the first point I made was that most of that debt we owe to ourselves. And actually, China's been a net seller of U.S. Treasuries for like six years now. Um, and owing money to yourself is not as scary as owing money to creditors. But then the other thing, and I didn't have the data, but I just, I kind of, I what, had what, a rough what, idea. What are you peeking at? I'm, I'm peeking at something that I think is important. From 1940 to 2018, government debt to GDP in the United States averaged 62%. So he kind of has a point. What's it today? I just told you, 106%. The all-time high, though, was 118% in 1946. Looks cheap. And the record low was 31% in, in 1981. So my point was that forward stock returns aren't uh, predicated on 
all-time record highs and lows of total indebtedness because we've seen good outcomes and bad outcomes on different debt levels. I don't know what what do you what would you have, what would you have said? Disclaimer: I'm not a financial advisor, so this might not be a good a good answer. Okay, I would fair say, enough. Come on. No, what would you have said? No, that would be my answer. What? What I said? No, come on. You would have said, "Come on, just, just shut up, bye." I mean, listen. There are always things to be worried about. I'm not. You agree, s- though, that that's like a legit long-term concern for everyone, not just investors. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's what Ray Dalio has been talking about, calling for 1937 since 2011. Because of total indebtedness. Yeah, that's what everybody's worried about. Right. Well, that's what all the billionaires are worried about. I un- I understand. I don't think it's an unreasonable worry. But what can you do about it? I don't think that it should dictate how. By the you, way, that's debt to GDP. I don't think that that should dictate how you invest um, today. Okay, and then the other thing that subsequently, I, I should have talked about. Japan is two hundred and fifty percent. I mean, you GDP. should always build a portfolio that's mindful of the risks involved in the market, right? right? Then this is just one of the risks. Okay, Google Finance. So Google is partnering with Citigroup and uh, was it like a Stanford checking union yeah. to get into checking accounts? Yeah. Uh, checking accounts were a shitty business. Well, so Apple just did it with Goldman Sachs. Well, they did a credit, uh, credit card. card. Check, checking accounts specifically are a shitty business. Nobody really makes money on them. Hold you on. Know? Here's a question. Yeah. Is this a trend that is going in one direction? In other words, the, the giant technology companies disrupting finance. In, in 2000. 15. And wait, hold on. One last point. It almost feels like, it, so uh, stars uh, sold their rights to Netflix for $25 million in 2000, whatever. And it basically, it let, it let them in. Now it's a Trojan horse. But now banks are just like, are they forced to let these tech companies in? Like, what do you think is going on with these businesses in the future of this? In 2015, um, Google announced a service where um, Google users, like anyone that has a Gmail account basically, could compare quotes for in various insurance products. And within like nine months, they shut it down because nobody really nobody was asking for it and it wasn't really profitable. In 2011, Google launched Google Wallet. I know that there are a lot of people that maybe have stored their credit cards they're, on they're, Google. They, but they still have, I think, 40 million users. They have a decent No, they amount. have a lot of yeah. users, but like, is that disrupting anyone? Visa, MasterCard, American Express, all these stocks are making record highs. So... I don't know that it's like a a competition. I think people are storing their MasterCard and Visa in Google for use, which arguably is great for the credit card company. So what Google is is looks like they're doing according to the reporting at the Wall Street Journal is they're partnering with banks rather than trying to displace them, which they can't right now. It, which, why would you want to? I guess what like Google sells at 17 times earnings. They want to be a bank and sell at 8 times earnings. Like I I don't even understand like why people would say that Google wants to be a bank. Google wants to be more tightly integrated into its users' lives. Are we gonna see? Are we gonna see ads when we uh, put our when we go online? I'm to, not. Checking I bank. I bank with HSBC, so um, I, I'm not gonna see Google ads. But uh, I, I don't. I don't think it's like. All why that do you meaningful. bank with HSBC? I need to know. Because my old office had an HSBC on the corner. And my house where I live has an HSBC a few blocks away. There so you have it. It was just easy. There you have it. All right. Um, and that's, by the way, that's how like 99% of people choose who they're going to bank with. Okay. Um, you said something really interesting. We had, um, we had Ben Hunt come in this week. If you haven't watched that video yet, went up yesterday. It was so good. And I think you were kind of making the point like Ben's opinions since he left the hedge fund he was working at seemed to be more volatile and louder. 
And like, there is a difference between selling an opinion versus working in finance. And I think when you work in the industry, your opinions in general will be less volatile and- and Publicly. And, well, publicly, right. The things that you put out in public, because you're not selling the opinion, you're selling your services. I thought that was really um, an interesting comment. You, you see a lot of that. Well, I doubt that his personality has changed. I mean, he's not a young man. So right. I just think that now he's, to your point, he's selling his opinions. Right, and, and, so, you, want to be, and you have to be heard. And he, right, and, and listen, that's his business. I think that he was much more even killed in person yes. than he is online, which is probably goes for a lot of people. Well, right, that's the other component and of I, it. And he's I, selling his opinions online. Yeah, so I understand why he gets uh, flamed a little bit, but I don't think that he's like unaware of what he's doing. I think he expects it. It's, I think he, right, if you're going to be like a quote-unquote public intellectual and your product is your opinions. You got to be there for the heat. You got to be there for the heat. You got to know that that's like part of the reason why you're you're able to get an audience. And he is. Seems he, like it. And he is. Okay, what All do you right. got? Uh, so sticking with that. So Jamie Dimon. All right, listen. This is a very complicated topic, right? It is. Let's fi- let's fi- figure it out in somebody, two minutes. Yeah, somebody said to me last night, well, um, and this you know, it's, it's a point that JP Morgan did $240 billion in earnings since he became CEO. He captured 0.004% of it. Is that reasonable? I don't know. You're just, referring to his pay package. It for just seems like him getting over $1 billion worth of JP Morgan stock. It seems a bit excessive. And I don't know where, how you legislate this. I'm not saying that $700 million is appropriate. I don't know. But you think that, th- I mean, it's t- well, no, it's totally excessive, but compared to what? Well, I, I know. That's the world we're in. That's the world we're in. And that's the going rate for the top bank CEO in the world. You want him or you don't want him because someone will give him that. <laughs> you know, in other words, you know how we talk the about- going, The going rate is, I mean, that is- Do we think LeBron, do we think LeBron is worth what the Lakers yep. did that deal for? Yep. There is one LeBron James in the world. There are, right, uh, so there I, are so at least- There's one Jamie Dimon. No, there's not. Why? Who's as good? I don't, know. I don't know, but come on. LeBron James is a world-class athlete. There are one of them. Do you know how many large U.S. bank CEOs um, are still running large banks and were prior to the crisis? Great. Zero. He, did, he did a great job. How do we know that it wasn't his— Zero. Le- how do we know that it wasn't his lieutenants and employees that also are responsible? Of course for it success? is. But we agree. Of course it is. It's not one person doing everything. So I don't want to pick up Jamie Dimon. Jamie Dimon just, would tell you that. I just think that CEO pay in general it has gotten so, so, so out of control. There was a great book a few years ago called The CEO Pay Machine. Barry had the author on his podcast. It's just gotten— it, 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 it has become totally outrageous. I'm not disagreeing. The, the average CEO is making hundreds of times— um, in S&P 500, the average CEO is making hundreds of times what the average mid-level or low-level employee um, at the company they run. We all agree that that number has multiplied exponentially since the 1960s and 70s. I'm just pointing out that's now the world we live in, and if— the board at J.P. Morgan Chase wanted to push back. Why would they? Say, who's to say Wells Fargo wouldn't just say, you know what, we're trying to orchestrate a turnaround? It would look incredible if we could recruit Jamie I, Dimon. I get it. So that's the world. I, I'm not saying like he's worth every dollar. I'm saying it's a relative world. All right, this is what I want to ask you about, and I have to read this very quick. This is, a, this is from the Bank of America Merrill Lynch Fund Manager Survey. Yes. Ah, surveys. All right. Recession concerns vanish. Net 6% of those polled expect a stronger global economy in the next year, up 
43 percentage points. That's so weird. What changed from last month? What changed? It's the biggest month-on-month jump on record. So the only thing that changed is price. Stock market hit a record high, and a lot of markets around the world started hitting highs too. Um, so in in late summer, we were talking about inverting yield curve and recession. It's either next month or in six months, but it's you have happening. You a question for me? Well. That would argue for technicals being better than um, economic opinions if you're going to pay attention to something. Because it seems that's to me a, that— that's a, that's a big statement. I mean, economic I opinions are following price. Well, of course they are. What do you mean, of course they I'd are? I'd rather follow price and economic opinions. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. Okay. Isn't that a great argument for that concept? Price over economic opinions? Yes. Because we don't think price follows economic opinions, do of we? Of course not. Right. So if you're going to pay— a lot of attention to something, I would just focus on what people are doing, not what people are saying. That's like my big takeaway. Profound. Okay. Hey, let us know what you think. No, wait, no, wait, no, wait. We have more? I'm ending. Okay. I have the last one. Did you download and uh, explore Disney Plus last night? Yes. Did you watch The Mandalorian? No, I watched, um, I watched, (laughs) I watched Frozen. No, I I literally did. The Mandalorian? Is it good? Quite good. Okay. Uh, let me watch that and then we'll talk one, about one, it. Just one episode at a time. They're not doing the Netflix binge thing. I'm fine with that. I like it. That's how I, like I watch it. TV. I like it. All right. Let us know what your thoughts are. Leave us a comment. Um, make sure you're subscribed to the channel. And we will talk to you soon.